This episode of Gather and Go is brought to you by Visit Savannah. Give your guests the opportunity to fall in love with Savannah, Georgia's hidden gems, coastal cuisines, exquisitely preserved history, and unique activities for groups of all sizes. Learn more at visitsavannah.com. Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. I am your host, Brian Jewell, and I am positively giddy that you decided to spend some time with us today. I'm super excited to introduce you to Jacqueline Libel Cote. Now, if you don't know Jacqueline, she is the president of Colette. And the subject of our featured conversation today, she is going to tell us all about how her family and her company have found ways to pioneer trends in the travel industry. You are not going to want to miss that conversation. But first, let's get into some travel news you may have missed. Now, unless you pay a lot of attention to the travel press, you may not have seen in the past week or so that the CDC has ended its COVID-19 program for cruise ships. Now, this is important news because it marks the end of a series of uh, rather drastic interventions that the CDC has made on the cruise industry uh, for the purpose of countering the COVID pandemic. Now, this most recent uh, ruling, it uh, puts cruise companies fully in control of managing their own protocols. And it's the last of the CDC's cruise restrictions to change. Now, let me walk you through a brief history of what has happened in the cruising industry since the pandemic broke in early 2020. Uh, soon after everything went into lockdown, the CDC issued a no sale order that lasted for almost a year and a half. And that banned any cruises into or out of ports in the United States, effectively bringing the entire cruise industry to a screeching halt. Uh, after that, they issued what was called a conditional sailing order, which laid out a lot of rules and regulations saying, okay, you can sail, you can take people on cruises, but you have to follow these very stringent set of COVID guidelines. Now, after that order expired, uh, the CDC replaced it with the most recent COVID-19 program for cruise ships. That was the official name. That is what it has now officially ended. And that's good news for the cruise industry. In fact, uh, cruise industry advocates say that this finally gives cruise lines the same decision-making autonomy that hotels and airlines have had really throughout the length of the pandemic. So if you are someone who uh, sells cruises or enjoys cruises or knows people who are into cruises, this is very good news for you. It should mean uh, that all restrictions are gone, that all bets are off, and that the cruise industry can return to full force. You know, I think it may also be good news for the rest of us, uh, even if you're not a big cruiser, because, you know, a lot of the people who normally would take cruises have been traveling in other ways since the pandemic began. They've been going on land vacations. They've been camping. They've been going uh, to parks. They've been doing many of the things uh, that we have found to be very crowded over the last couple of years. So here's hoping that cruisers get back to cruising and perhaps just maybe that will free up some space, that will free up some staff, that will help bring hotel rates down on land so that the travel industry feels a little bit more normal. We can hope anyway. That is your travel news for the week. Next stop is our road tip. You know, in every episode, I try to give you a tip from my experience of travel or the experience of our team that will help make your travel experiences just a little bit easier, 
just a little more seamless, just a little more hassle free so you can focus on having fun and not have to worry about all the inconveniences that can come from life on the road. So here is the tip this week. If you are managing a trip that has various components, maybe you are flying somewhere and then once you get there, you are renting a car to drive to where you need to go. And then in that rental car, you're going to drive to a hotel where you're going to stay. Maybe you have some theater tickets. Maybe you have some attractions or tours or experiences booked. It can be a little bit difficult to keep track of all the different reservations you've made, your receipts, knowing when uh, everything departs and arrives and when checkout time is, when things are available. I want to introduce you to a tool that helps make that all easier. This is a tool that I use literally on every trip I take. This is a phone app called TripIt, T-R-I-P-I-T. That's the words trip and it. I'll link to that in the show notes. And this is an app that organizes all your travel documents in one place. So how does it work? Well, when you book an airline ticket or a hotel room or a rental car or an attraction or anything else like that, you're going to get a receipt from the company you booked it with. And you forward that receipt to an email address, plans at tripit.com. And TripIt takes all of those receipts and reservation confirmations, anything you send it, and it consolidates all of that into one master itinerary for your trip. That itinerary lives on your smartphone. You can also access it on the website. You can share it with other people who are traveling with you. You can share it with people back home who are uh, watching as you go or who need to know how to contact you. It is the most helpful tool I have ever found for consolidating travel plans. It is uh, free to use at the introductory tier and there's also a paid tier that offers uh, real-time flight information updates and uh, plenty of other tools. So uh, I highly recommend TripIt to anyone who travels frequently and has complex to moderately complex itineraries. Uh, This app is a lifesaver and a time saver, and uh, I wouldn't travel anywhere without it. So there is your road tip for the week. Next up, I want to give you some news from us. You know, you might remember a couple months ago, I mentioned that we have a fam tour opportunity coming up in Louisiana at the beginning of October, October 1st through 5th. Well, we've had some great applicants so far, but there are still a few seats left on that tour. So if you are a travel planner who is interested in seeing the sites and learning about tourism products and experiences in and around New Orleans, this is a fam you should make time to attend. It is October 1st through 5th. You can learn much more about it and apply to join us on our website at grouptravelleader.com slash LA-FAM. And I'm going to put that in the show notes to make it easy for you to find. All right, well, we're just about to get into our featured conversation with Jacqueline Leibel-Cote. But before we do, I want to encourage you to hang around to the end of the interview for the hot minute segment, because I have some more thoughts to share on the CDC and its impact on travel during the pandemic. And you don't want to miss that. So we will be right back with Jacqueline Leibel Cote. All right. So if you're looking for even more reasons to make plans to visit Savannah, look no further. From the moment you arrive, you'll be greeted with moss draped live oak trees fresh coastal breezes, and enchanting history around every cobblestone street. Savannah strikes a delicate balance between hip and historic. Casual, but cool. Elegant, yet approachable. Spend the day exploring the city's illustrious culture, roaming through the green city squares while sipping on your go-to cocktail before hopping a trolley to your next adventure. 
The best experiences happen when you let Savannah take you along for the ride. You never know what characters you'll meet or what's in store for your next tour. And that's just the way they like it. See why groups of all sizes fall in love with Savannah at visitsavannah.com. All right, everybody. My guest today is the third generation leader of Colette, one of the world's oldest and largest tour companies. She joined the organization full time in 2005 and worked as a tour manager and a product developer before taking the reins as president and chief brand officer in 2018. Today, she oversees her family business's global operations and customer experience with a focus on innovation and social responsibility. Jacqueline Libel-Cote, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, there are a lot of our listeners and a lot of people in travel who are in sort of a family business, but I don't think many of them have the pedigree of family business and travel that you do. So can you take us back uh, three generations and tell us how your family got started in a business that would become what we all know as Colette today? Yeah. So back in um, back in the 60s, um, my grandfather had met Jack Collette, who founded it in 1918. That's where the name comes from. And they were both my grandfather worked on the railroad. And so they were both in travel and transportation. So they had a handshake deal that Jack ever wanted to sell the company that he would sell it to my grandfather. And in 1962, my grandfather bought it and it was a small, you know, mom and pop organization really at the time. It was three employees at most and just grew it from there. So day trips, Atlantic City used to be our big destination. We'd bring 30,000 people through in a year. Um, yeah. You know, and so, and then my my dad took over um, in the 90s and just continued to start taking it over the Rhode Island border and into other areas and um, continue to develop products nationwide. And then our first tour to Switzerland back in the 80s. Yeah, cool. So when I think about sort of the mid 20th century in tourism, I think of that as the era when many of the things that we take for granted uh, on a tour today were sort of thought up and invented for the first time. So can you give us some insight about uh, what the tourism business looked like, what customers were experiencing in 1968 when your family got involved? Yeah. So, you know, back in the sixties, obviously we didn't have um, the internet. And so, you know, you, you really put trust into Colette or any company that you'd be traveling with. And um, from the, what you would see throughout the day um, it was motor coach touring. Um, it wasn't easy travel. Like it's not, today anyone can jump on an airplane and it's, you know, but back then it was, it was a luxury. It was really the wealthy and in business travel, but you didn't see it. It wasn't the same back then. So you didn't see as much air travel or curiosity to, you know, to travel every year, you know, somewhere new. You didn't, that, that kind of feeling wasn't, um, wasn't there in back in the sixties. Um, but as time went on in each decade, you know, people, um, as you're introduced to new things and different generations, I think that curiosity grew and people started to to branch out and look at travel as sort of the great educator and, and broaden their horizons. And I think that's where travels, you know, come from, you know, so from a day trip to, um, you know, a four day trip, people then really, you know, taking 10 day trips or um, or longer. And I think that's that's the trend that you've seen really shape in travel. Yeah. And, you know, there were so many things happening in society in that era that made that possible. You know, 
many women in the first part of the 20th century, they weren't working full time. Yeah. Uh, and so they maybe never had the experience of uh, traveling on their own or they didn't feel confident in it. Uh, but as society changed so much uh, in the 60s and 70s, we saw people with more disposable income, more time, more interest. And uh, it created huge opportunity for for companies like Colette to to get out there and take people to really fulfill their dreams. Right. I mean, these are these are bucket list experiences that you're taking people to do. Right. Yeah, no, for sure. That's a great point. And it's true. I mean, definitely um, so much has changed just for because, I mean, largely our percentage of our business and travelers is um, our women. And so that's a really great point in that. Yeah, that has changed um, over the over the decades. Um, and you know, making decisions, but also, you know, from raising the children to raising the children and working. And then, you know, once you hit that retirement age, wanting to enjoy, wanting to enjoy that, um, and kind of just taking a different stance at it. I think that's, it's been great. So what are some of the, uh, the big innovations that you think your family was really responsible for in those early years of, uh, helping, you know, transition tourism from the little four day trip you were talking about to the 10 day or 14 day trip you do now? I think honestly, um, it's been that the fact that we just, we've always listened to our travelers. And I think, you know, when you, when you are out there tour guiding and that's what you had to do back then. So my dad would just, if a tour guide wasn't going to show up, my dad, my grandfather would wake my dad up sometimes at five in the morning being like, Hey, you got to go tour guide. You know, when you're with the travelers, whether it's a day trip or a four day trip, they hear that want or that ask for something more. So I think that's what sort of started to take it you know, nationally on a bigger scale um, to national parks and and branching out just here in the U.S. Um, And then that continued to just evolve. Yeah. So am I correct in hearing that you're saying it's not that anybody was having these strokes of genius uh, 50, 60 years ago and innovating new product that no one had never thought of that were instantly home runs, but it was really about being responsive and listening to customers and, and letting almost letting the market guide you to where it wanted to go. I think, yes. I mean, I think that's how most innovations happen, quite honestly. Um, It's all around design thinking. If you, if you study a segment, whatever it may be, um, but in this case, travel, um, it's really about the things and the sound bites that you get from people who are actually doing it in that form today. And then what asking the questions for what are they looking for in the future? To me, that's how I think even like cell phones, you think about it, um, yeah. you know, computers, I mean, it's all, you're just listening to what you're trying to find what that pain point is and solve for that pain point. And I think that that's, that's really kind of what happened here. Um, although it just happens to be in a really fun industry that takes you all around the world. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, but, you know, going all around the world, especially before it was commonplace, uh, it was not without challenges. It was not without risks. And I would imagine for a growing tour company, the idea of booking a bunch of airline tickets and and putting people on a plane to a, a place where you didn't have instant access to them, uh, it came with uh, a certain amount of risk. So w- what were some of those risks or the hurdles that uh, had to be overcome in those early years and, and how did that play out? I mean, I think it definitely risk... <laughs> It could be fraud. I mean, you know, it could be different things that trust in the supplier in which you choose to work with. Um, You know, that happened actually in one of the Overamigal years in the, I think it was in 80 or 90 um, and got scammed out of a bunch of tickets. And my dad and my uncle and others were like running all over town in Germany trying to get tickets for the travelers that we took there. So there's always that risk. Um, um, But if I think about risk in that sense, 
going internationally and did we design the right tour? Do we have the right people leading that tour in a destination that is new to us? So I think there's always there's always risk there with you know, insurance, health insurance wasn't the same as it is today. Um, And we do cater to a demographic that, um, you know, can fall on cobblestone streets or and have little things, um, you know, that can happen. And so being able to handle that from a medical standpoint back in those days would have been more challenging, if you will, um, because you didn't have the same level of communication, the way people just carry their cell phones and use it as their camera when they're touring Italy today. It was pay phones or, you know, it's a lot more expensive. So I think those were some of the risks that, that you had of challenges that can happen on tour. But, you know, I think yeah. they were probably far lesser and people continued to grow that, grow it. So I started uh, in the tourism industry in 2003, which was kind of in, in that first era where it was common for everybody to walk around with a cell phone. We started taking cell phones for granted. And I, I cannot wrap my head around how anybody did this kind of work <laughs> before the advent of before, a cell phone. I know. Or computers. Same thing. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It's so crazy to think about. So, so in the midst of uh, these decades, while your, your grandfather and then your dad are pioneering all these things in travel, you are uh, a kid growing up in a family immersed in travel. So tell us what that was like and how it shaped your outlook on the world and ultimately on the kind of work you wanted to do. Yeah. I mean, I think when I was growing up, I was really, my dad, I remember from my childhood growing up, he would show, he would be at our sports events when he was home, but he traveled a lot because he was really designing these tour products across the globe. Um, And so he'd be gone sometimes for weeks at a time, but I think it showed as a leader, you got to be in, you got to be in the details. Um, Mm -hmm. You have to make sure that we're designing the right, the right tour product. And so I think that's probably why I really came in from on the product side. There was always, um, I think watching him do that through my childhood there was always that one. And I would go into the office with him sometimes on the weekends and he would be doing pricing. You know, he'd get back from a trip and he'd have to put the price, you know, the pricing together and put the whole tour together. And I used to sit on the calculator and type stuff up. So there was always for me that, (laughs) that want to come in on that side. So that's probably why I came in on the product side when I officially came in as an employee. Um, My, in the summers in college, that's when I would do tour guiding. That was a learning experience in and of itself as a college student, you know, doing four day clam bakes, main clam bakes and um, pen Dutch back when we had, this was when we were still motor coach. So I was doing, I was doing a lot of that. So is there a specific moment in time that you remember thinking to yourself, okay, yeah, I, I'm going to make a go of this as my career. Like, it's not just going to be my dad's business or my family business. Like this is going to be my business too. It's probably honestly when I would sit and be doing the calculator, that that's probably my moment. Like I remember that very clearly, you know, so if I had to pinpoint a moment, I would probably say that that was it. There's nothing outside of that that really sticks with me as like fundamentally changing the way I thought about coming into the business. And I just always wanted to. All right. So you start leading tours uh, during summers in college. Tell us about that experience, because obviously you are at the opposite end of the age spectrum uh, for many of your customers. So what are what are you thinking at, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old uh, out on these tours? And how does that experience shape your approach uh, going forward? I'm a social person. I'm an introvert to some extent, but I'm a social person. So I think it really, when you get to meet people who come from all different states, that's what I enjoyed about it. Um, Mm. You know, having them you know, learn about New England or other areas where I come from, but me really learning about them. That for me probably helped shape me be better when I came in to design tour products, having that interaction, having those interactions with our, who our traveler really is. I did it from a really young age. So I was never shy or 
um, looked at our traveler segment as as older. And as I creep closer yeah. to it, I definitely can't think that. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both for sure. So, um, but when you start taking those groups out, all of a sudden, you know, you're not tagging along with dad, you know, because you look at your parents doing their work and they're like, Oh, you know, they're responsible. They've got this, they're Superman. And then all of a sudden all that responsibility is on you. And if yeah. somebody gets sick on the tour or falls on that cobblestone street, it's on you, you got to figure it out. And so, uh, Tell us about that transition and sort of how you grew professionally from stepping into that level of responsibility. Yeah. I mean, I think back in, in the days when I was tour guiding, yeah, you, it definitely, you have to step up and there is a responsibility that comes with that. Um, not even just from managing the logistics of the tour, if something happens, but making sure that I really under like studied the history and all of the the elements that a tour manager has to do to be really good at, at guiding and bringing an experience or a destination the history to life um so i think that that for me um it, it became a work ethic for sure um i think tour guiding is one of the the hardest if not the hardest job that any travel for in any organization and any travel company you're dealing with 40 different personalities um you know on a on a departure um with things that can happen in between so it's really it, it, it creates you know you become multitask you learn how to multitask really well um yeah. you know you be on point be on time um so i think it really to me it's a work ethic it really is um it teaches you that really fast um and if you can't step up to the if you can't step up to that challenge it's definitely you know from a tour guiding perspective it's not the not a right role for you um, yeah. but I think I took all of that with me, um, in all of my steps throughout, you know, my, my journey with Colette into, into my role that I play today as president. And it just, I, I like I said, I listened to, to the travelers, um, when I would guide, I listened to my team and I listened to, um, you know, all of the employees when it comes to different things of how they view the business. So I, I really like to listen and hear different perspectives to help shape how I need to be thinking about things. So I would say that's probably a big that I hadn't even really thought about until talking honestly with you right now, but that's, that's a big piece of probably why I lead the way I lead actually comes yeah. from my, my days tour guiding. That's amazing. Yeah. Leaders are listeners for sure. And if you're, if you're not listening at every step along the way, you are missing the key ingredients to great leadership, right? Yeah. Uh, that's for sure. that's really good. So you move into a product development role, and I have to imagine that those uh, weeks and months and years out on tours and on motor coaches really informed the way you thought about products. So uh, tell us about what your approach was there, especially having been out on so many tours with so many people. What what did you look for in product, and how were you sort of uh, arranging it in a way that uh, felt like it met the needs that you kept hearing about when you would listen to people? Yeah. So when I actually came in in 2005, that was when we actually stopped doing motor coach um, and we moved to fully air travel, meaning even if you're doing an islands of New England, people are flying into whatever the start city is. Um, so I kind of also came in during a transition for what I did, you know, the, the local Penn Dutch tours and multi-day, but not the longer international journeys. So I actually came in. Um, so at the time I had Australia, New Zealand as my, Oh, sorry. I, I lied. That was my second territory. I came in overseeing, um, the Eastern U S so I didn't really know much outside of my backyard. So Charleston, Savannah, um, you know, in these areas that I'd never been to before. So the other thing that, you know, we started to collect surveys and data and start making decisions based on previous customers, 
feedback, right? So it is about talking to them. But now you're, I moved into a role where it became much bigger. Um, and we really were transitioning away from what I knew as the business into that, into that, what we are today, really, um, yeah. the air travel side. And I think, you know, what are some of the things that I, I learned along the way? Um, you got to do your homework. Back then, it was really about picking up the phone and you had to do your research really by phone. The internet wasn't, it was there. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was a balance. Um, it was a balance of what you read on the internet, but really, um, your phone skills, my phone skills really improved after coming in as a product person. Did that work put you on site much? Yeah. Back in those days, we had to travel a lot. Um, you know, to our, to our destinations, um, to, you know, to negotiate face to face with the hotels and with the rest, making sure we had the right restaurant choice. Can it fit a group of our size? Um, you know, meeting with local guides, but really, you know, so designing, but then negotiating and doing all the contract that went along with that and then coming home and actually putting the pricing together. So I kind of went full circle to what I used to watch my dad do. I was now actually doing it, but it is the best way to, learn the business because the product is the center. It's really what the the travelers are purchasing, right? So everything, the heart and soul of the business, but then all of the other areas of the organization and how it supports that, that I learned by coming into product and really seeing how it all, all came together. Yeah. So you join product development at this sort of sea change moment uh, in the company's history. And, uh, I imagine you, you kind of saw some other innovations, uh, during your time there. Can you think of a, a few key things that you were involved in or, or you, uh, collaborated on that, uh, marked kind of progress forward for the company or for sort of the tour paradigm in general? Yeah, honestly, I think it was coming from data, starting to really come from data. Um, that was there probably to some extent in some industries, but it wasn't something that was the way people talk about data today and the way people talked about data in 2005, Mm -hmm. um, very different. And so I think, you know, that really started to move the needle and a lot of innovations and how, how I viewed not just my territory or even as in the way I look at it today, it's about asking questions. When data can give you the answer that helps inform your decisions and, and move it forward, that I would say has been the biggest thing. So data, I think a lot of people who may not be that familiar with the discipline of data science, uh, they hear that term and they think about like Facebook collecting who knows what information on them. You know, sometimes data collection can feel a little bit scary. So when you talk about we looked at the data and made decisions on that, what kind of data were you looking at and, and what kind of data was the most helpful to you? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, how do they rate the overall tour experience that they purchased? Um, And how did they like each hotel? And did they like Mm -hmm. the optional tours that were offered? And what could have been, you know, what could have been done differently? I mean, when people spend money on an experience, and obviously the price point has increased over over the years, right? Um, They're going to provide feedback as to what they liked and what they didn't. And that helps us be informed as to how we need to change it um, for the next year for the next group, you know, especially coming out of COVID, I have to say data was pivotal to how we managed coming back to travel, knowing that there were service issues in some areas, right? Because people couldn't, hotel couldn't get, couldn't get help. They couldn't get employees. 
So knowing how to have those right conversations to maintain the service levels that our travelers expect, that's all from data. So definitely not privacy data, but this is how do we make sure that you get the experience that you paid for? Um, and if you didn't like something that we might have thought you would like, then we can change it and we can make moves really quickly. Yeah. So we're really still talking about listening to your customer just in a little bit more systematic way of doing it. Yes, always. I mean, to me, it's so important because um, here's the thing. Travelers back in 05, I Facebook, I don't think was around. I don't remember mm. when I joined Facebook, to be honest with you. But, <laughs> right, you know, right. now our travelers are on Facebook. So they change every year and every generation that becomes a Colette traveler um, is different. And so you have to listen to adapt. You know, what we've heard over the last couple of years is, People think, you know, they want more off the bus time versus on the bus time. And so we've really deconstructed how we do city tours. So people aren't just sitting on a bus getting off for a picture opportunity. Now we're doing walking tours or deconstructed tours where um, you might get different elements of, of a city on a different day. So it's not just being about panoramic, but really getting off the coach. So, but that's all, I mean, we could listen to what we think, but we're not doing the tours every day. The people who actually are. Um, are telling us what they want. And it, that informs our, you know, our brand standards for yeah. design. So uh, time on the coach definitely has changed even in, you know, in my almost 20 years in tourism. Uh, are there some other key things that you think are different today than say they were in 2005 in terms of the customer experience? Uh, more free time. I think back mm. even when I started, it was more handholding. Travelers mm. didn't, um, they maybe they, they wanted the tour manager around all the time and they maybe didn't feel as comfortable traveling someplace that was not home and sort of being let free a little bit. A lot of times you'd have a little bit of free time and then you'd see the traveler sitting in the lobby. I think yeah. that has changed over the years. I think, um, you know, we many years ago, we started to do choice on tour. So not everyone has to do every single thing together. Um, mm. You know, some people may not want to go to a winery, they may not be wine drinkers. But so now creating choice, people who love wine, they may choose a winery, people who want to um, go and visit gardens can go and visit gardens, um, you know, kind of just making it up. But that's, that's the freedom of choice that we've created in the tours over the last few years, because people wanted more flexibility. So a lot of times I'll talk to people who are, let's say, group leaders or, or, or things like that. And I ask them whether they're doing things like choice on tour and they kind of hem and haw and say, well, you know, we only have one bus driver and I don't know, I don't know how to put that together. And certainly, you know, Colette has uh, resources and expertise that, uh, that, that the group leader uh, doesn't have at their disposal. But, you know, when you put something like that out into your ecosystem, you're working at a scale that's so large that it's not just flipping a switch, right? It's not easy. So how do you make fairly substantial paradigm shifts like that at scale across your operations on six or seven continents and not lose anybody and, you know, nothing fall through the cracks? We definitely try not to lose people. Um, no, people, I mean, but the, the thing is, is it's the group leaders, travelers that over the years that have told us that this it's, it's all of our travelers. So the feedback is coming from everyone. Um, you know, so I think that's an important point. They want to travel with that group leader because they trust that person or the organization in which they're connected to. So to scale that you start small um, and you build on it from whether it's top, top tours, you know, tra travel tours, if you will, um, and start building it in. It's not to try to 
get 100%, get choice on tour on 100% of the tours in the following year. It's really, it's, it's testing it, knowing, you know, we've learned over time, you really don't want to do it on the first day or second day of a tour. You want people to be sort of adjusted and comfortable and then introducing choice on tour. Um, it does become, you know, for sure, we learned the logistics when we had rolled this out and really started to scale it for even how we contracted, um, setting the expectations with the suppliers. You're not going to get 44 people. We're going to let you know what that count is as we get closer to, um, you know, as we get closer to the service date. Um, so it does, it definitely did change. Um, and we learned along the way. Um, and I'm, it's it's not easy, but the logistics you figure out and you have to get creative, right? There's different modes of transportation with just because you're going on a collect tour doesn't mean the motor coach is the only way that we can get to an experience. And so yeah. getting creative with how we can use train trains if needed subways, it's, it's part of an experience in some destinations, people, you know, mm-hmm. In New York, taking a subway, yeah, you might not want to do it alone, but if you had a local guide taking you to do that experience and you go home and you tell your friends, oh my gosh, I rode the subway in New York, um, those are things that people want to do but might not feel comfortable doing it. So it is about getting creative logistically. Um, But again, we, we made mistakes in the earlier days, but we modified and learned. And I think now we're sort of just, it's churning and it's going pretty well. Yeah, that's fantastic. So I know the past couple of years have not been what you expected when you um, ascended to the presidency. It's not what any of us expected. And, and, and nobody wants to rehash everything we've been through. But, you know, hopefully with uh, all the disruption in the rear view, are there some trends that you are able to kind of put your eyes back on now where you're, you're spending less time with, you know, COVID mitigation and disaster response and maybe getting back more to like, how do we want to innovate in the future? Are there some of those things that you kind of have an eye on? Yeah, the last two years have been, <laughs> um, you know, an opportunity to learn, if you will. It, it has been very tough, but I think it was definitely an opportunity to learn and rethink of the business um, and how we think about travel overall. I think some of the trends that you'll see, I, first I'll say continue to see. So, um, you know, over tourism was a trending topic sort of pre-COVID, I think you're going to see that continue as we emerge back into into travel. And I think, you know, destinations aren't fully back to, to what they were sort of pre-pandemic levels, but I think it will quickly come back to what that to what they were. And I think that is where we're going to see that conversation sort of pick up again. And what does that look like? Because people want to travel more than ever and they're going to want to see all the must-sees, but now they're going to want to, you know, they want to preserve um, their sites. So I think you're going to, that's going to become a big one back into the market. Um, I think the other thing that you'll see small group travel, I think has a, has a big opportunity coming out of COVID. Um, The idea of being in a larger group just might not suit every traveler now. And I think being in smaller groups um, and being able to have sort of different curated experiences, I think that will speak to to some travelers differently. Yeah, man, that's, that's so exciting. And I know, we can expect to see exciting things from you guys uh, on those fronts going forward. So before I let you go, uh, where's the best place for people to find you or the company or see what you're up to? Oh, a website. You can go to gocollect.com. All things are there, um, you know, in regards to all the destinations that we travel to and some of the unique experiences that you get with Colette. Um, so yeah, that would, or you can watch Wheel of Fortune as well. Sometimes we're on there. So, and that's always fun. Yeah, cool. So we have a few questions we ask everybody at the end just for fun. These are just kind of a fun get to know you question. So question number one, are you a window seat person or an aisle seat person? Aisle seat person. So why, uh, why do you select the aisle seat? 
I just want to be able to get up and use the restroom if I need to, or stretch my legs. I always feel bad if I have to ask one or two people every time I would want to get up. Um, if I'm on the window seat. Yeah. Especially if they're asleep, right? Like there's nothing worse than needing to get up, but (laughs) not wanting to wake somebody for sure. Okay. So next question, uh, what is one thing that's always in your carry on that you would never travel without my makeup, my makeup. Yeah. You don't want to see, you wouldn't want to see it without, you wouldn't want to see my face without makeup. So yeah, I would see my makeup. <laughs> it's a must. And my cell phone. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So if you had uh, a free airline pass and a week or two off work, where would you be going? New Zealand. I would be going back to New Zealand. I love it there. Yeah. It's one of the most stunning places I've ever seen and impossible to put into words, I think. And Oh, totally. Yeah. People buy Australia and New Zealand, but they buy it for the Sydney Opera House, which is also great. And, and for the Great Barrier Reef, but they come home talking about New Zealand. It's the beauty, the charm. It's, it's amazing. And I miss it. I haven't been there in a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. All right. Last question. Uh, what is something you have seen or done on the road that you wish you could go back and experience again with somebody you love? Oh, so this is going back to, goes back to New Zealand. It was when I was a product manager. And the great thing about having Australia, New Zealand as your territory when you would is the flip seasons. So buying season when we would go and design and and negotiate were January, February, March. So I went to Australia for three weeks. I came home for a few weeks and I went back to New Zealand and I drove. So I was there for three weeks, basically missed winter here, which was great. Um, Had beautiful weather there, but had a rental car and did, you know, did all the contracting in three weeks and just driving and listening to CDs back then. So I'd bring CDs and have them in the car, in the car and just be listening to music and driving the the West coast of New Zealand and just going down toward getting to Franz Joseph and then Queenstown. Um, That would be fun to do with someone. It was fun when I was all by myself. I couldn't imagine actually having someone with me that I would want to, I would want to show somebody that would be, that it was amazing. Yeah. Absolutely. Jacqueline, thanks so much for your time. Look forward to uh, talking to you again soon. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Jacqueline. I hope you took a lot away from it. I know I certainly did. I have a a few things she said I want to hit again just to make sure they really land with you and you don't miss the nuggets of wisdom here. Uh, One of the things she told us is that you listen to what the pain point of your customers is and you solve for that pain point. And she also said, as a leader, you got to be in the details. You know, this is so important. Sometimes uh, we get uh, in the habit of doing things the same way we've always done them, how we learn to do them, how the people before us did them. And we forget that uh, people change and technology changes and people's expectations change. And so it's important to be a listener listening to your travelers, listening to your staff, listening to your peers and other people who can give you ideas to help make you better at what you do and ultimately deliver better travel experiences. She also said that product is the heart and soul of the business. And I think this is so important because uh, so much of the work we do in travel, it comes down to dates and contracts and payments and deposits and profits and losses and all that sort of thing. And well, that's all important when it comes to running a business. But the most important thing to remember is that the product is the heart and soul. And in travel, that means taking people to amazing places and making sure we're delivering amazing experiences and 
sincere, genuine hospitality that makes them want to travel with us again. If we're not doing that, then all the P's and Q's and the contracts and the deposits, well, they don't mean much. Finally, Jacqueline said, every generation is different, so you have to listen to adapt. You know, it's fair to say Colette has probably been in business much longer than you, and they have seen multiple generations of travelers come through their ecosystem. And what works for one generation often does not work for the next generation. So there's a lesson for us to learn here as generations change, as people age, as new travelers come in with new expectations, new comfort levels, new wishes and desires. We really have to listen to what they have to say. We can't lean on what was done in the past. So uh, right now, baby boomers dominate the travel landscape. But I'll tell you what, before you know it, there will be some Gen Xers who are looking more closely at group travel and saying, hey, that sounds like something I want to do. If you are not willing to listen to them and to adapt to their unique sets of circumstances and desires and travel tastes, well, you're not going to make that transition very well. So I would urge you to get in the habit of listening to your customers, recognize when generations change around you and be willing to adapt as necessary to serve the needs of your future customers. Well, there's a wrap up of our conversation with Jacqueline. Now, before we go, I promised you a hot minute about the CDC and its impact on travel. Now, in case you don't remember, the hot minute is the segment of the show where I take 60 seconds to give you my unfiltered views on an issue that is impacting travel right now. And boy, do I have some things to say about the CDC. So let's put 60 seconds on the clock and get into it. Okay, so I will defend the role and the existence of the CDC in American life. I feel like there is a place for an agency that looks out for our health. But I think it's fair to say that that agency doesn't know what it's doing when it comes to regulating travel. In fact, uh, the courts have recently found that many of the pandemic era regulations that the CDC issued in other spheres of life were illegal, unconstitutional, far exceeding the authority of the agency. Now, I am no legal scholar and I'm not going to venture a guess on whether the agency has legal authority to issue rules about cruising. But I will say this. The pandemic raged on and on, even as cruise lines were grounded and thousands and thousands of people lost their job and millions and billions of dollars in revenue were lost. And that's not okay. So I think it's time that we as an industry stand up and say, hey, canceling travel is no way to preserve public health. And we're not going to let a bureaucracy ruin our industry anymore. Now, that's the way I see it. You don't have to agree with me. In fact, you can disagree and we will still be friends. Agree, disagree or have other thoughts, whatever it is. I'd love to hear from you. You can send your thoughts, questions, concerns, rebuttals, anything you got. Send them to me. Podcast at grouptravelleader.com. I look at every email that comes into that address and listen, you never know. Your comments just might be the topic of the next hot minute. And hey, while you're in the mood to give us some feedback, would you do me a favor? Go over to your podcast platform of choice and give us a rating and a review, whether that's Apple Podcast or Spotify or Amazon or Google, wherever you listen to Gather and Go. We would love to get that feedback. Those ratings and reviews really help us get the word out about the podcast and about what we are doing to try to help people plan, promote and lead better trips. 
Now, we are about done for the day. My thanks once again to Jacqueline Leibel Cote. On the next episode of Gather and Go, I'm going to bring you a featured conversation with Joe Venito, who is the grandfather of tourism experiences and has a lot of expertise on creating memorable travel experiences. And he's going to tell us all about how he helps travel planners and destinations all over the country create experiences that are going to resonate with groups. You are not going to want to miss that. Until then, remember this. At the end of the day, we are all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Donya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kyle Anderson and Bryce Wilson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kyle or Bryce at 888-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of The Group Travel Leader. For more information about our magazines, podcasts, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com. This episode of Gather and Go was sponsored by Visit Savannah. Savannah, Georgia's charm can be found in its rich history, tree-lined cobblestone streets, exciting events, and unbeatable dining experiences. Check out visitsavannah.com to see why your next tour should stop in Savannah.